Hi everyone, this is Michelle Gale. I'm so grateful you're here. And before we get started, I just wanted to share with you that I'll be launching my first ever free online conference called Mindful Parenting in a Messy World from September 18th to the 20th. We're going to have 15 speaker interviews, some of which include Rick Hansen, Susan Kaiser Greenland, Dr. Shafali Sabari. You can register at conference.michellegale forward slash podcast. Make sure to register here because I'll be sending my podcast listeners a free bonus webinar titled Big Emotions and What to Do with Them. You can also find that link in the podcast notes. And I'm also offering a four-week online course in October called Mindful Parenting, the Foundations of Practice. It'll be a weekly course focused on mindfulness of the breath, body, emotions, and thoughts. We'll have a private Facebook group and weekly practices, and it'll be recorded each time so you can watch whenever it works for you. I'd love to have you join me. You can go to my website, beamindfulparent.com for more information or just sign up to my weekly email list and you'll stay up to date on all the ways we can grow together as a community and you will also receive my weekly musings. (laughs) Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to the podcast, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I'm your host, Michelle Gale. And I am here today with Debbie Reber. She is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and the founder of Tilt Parenting, a website, podcast, and global online community for parents raising differently wired children. Her Tilt Parenting podcast, on which she interviews high-profile thought leaders in parenting and education, has grown to be a top podcast in iTunes Kids and Family category, with more than 350 thousand downloads. Thanks for being here with us, Debbie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And the book is titled Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. And um, I have been, before we popped on here, I told Debbie that I started reading it. Um, Her PR firm sent me the book and I started reading it and I was pretty much done in two or three days. And my husband's almost done, and I have a ton of little tabs all through the book. Um, And, you know, my experience, Debbie, has just been, oh my gosh, someone needed to write this. So we all, even though we kind of know we're not alone, now now we really know we're not alone. Mm. Yeah, it's. I I love that you said that because that was my original inspiration for not only the book, but for Tilt in general was to help parents like me, like us feel like someone else has been through this and that we can survive it. And, uh, it's so interesting though, publishers initially didn't get it. Like unless Mm -hmm. you're personally impacted, um, or, you know, see what this is really can feel and look like in a family, people are like, um, you know, there's already enough special needs memoirs or, mm. you know, you're not a parenting expert, you know, you're not a PhD in child psychology. And I'm like, you don't get it. That's not <laughs> what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> no, that's not what you were trying to do there. Can you, can you talk a little bit just so our listeners know, who is this book written for? Well, there are a couple of different audiences, but I would say the primary audience is parents like me, parents who are raising kids who are in some way neurologically atypical. And that can be anything from being gifted or twice exceptional to being on the autism spectrum or having ADHD or learning difference like dyslexia. So it's primarily written to help those parents, you know, A, know that 
that what they're experiencing uh, is normal within this community, that our kids aren't broken, yeah. and, and that actually we can parent these kids with true confidence and joy. So that's my, my main target. And then, of course, I hope other I hope everybody reads it because I'm really trying to, on a broader scale, shift the conversation around neurodiversity so that our, our kids and kids in, of the future who are differently wired will be fully embraced, you know, by society. Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, I appreciate the tone throughout the book that really points us to seeing, you know, you, you write this somewhere, you know, seeing their extraordinary gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really to be able to see the gifts, you know, you're kind of in the muck of this, you know, therapy and assessments and trying to find what works and um, considering medication or not medication and needing to pick kids up from school because they're at the nurse again and want to come home. And, you know, there's all of this going on. And I think within that, you know, and I feel like we've been through the real thick of it over the last few years and things are somewhat smoothing out. And now I'm kind of getting there a little bit more, but it's also makes me a little sad, you know, over these years that it can be hard to see the extraordinary gifts because you're so focused on what's wrong that you're not always seeing all of what's right. Yeah. And unfortunately so much of what exists or, you know, in in terms of especially, you know, the school system and just where our kids spend most of their time practically, um, it is a system that tends to highlight their deficits and it all becomes about that. And so it becomes, you know, about identifying problems so we can, you know, solve them, fix them, um, medicate our kids out of them, you know, but it, it is all about, this, yeah, deficits based. And when you're in that space, which is a very fear-based space, um, it's, it's lack, it's a place of lack. It's a place of, um, lack of control. Um, Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't recognize that. Wait a minute, wait a minute here. Is this really a bad thing? You know, maybe, you know, this is just a part of how this person shows up and is able to bring this incredible creativity to the world. or these perspectives that we so desperately need as a society. So, um, but it's, it can be really hard to, to even as a parent of this, of these kids to make that shift, you know, because we're reminded every day that there's a problem. Yeah. And I think that also, I know I can get caught in this trap of feeling like, you know, in the long run, like I can see the gifts. Sometimes I can see the gifts for the long run, but, you know, you kind of got to get through, you know, this system, right, that they're in right now, that mm-hmm. when they're in, they're often comparing themselves, you know, to others. Um, you know, I saw that with my youngest when, you know, he was in second grade and just it was a really hard year and coming home all the time and trying to figure out what was going on. And then I homeschooled him the next year and, and all of that went away, mm-hmm. right? We still needed a learning specialist, right? Mm-hmm. To work on certain subjects, but all of that, all of that anxiety and drama and um, unhappiness went away and just yeah. being grounded and um, having that quiet. And I, I think a big part of it is not constantly comparing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is where we're kind of stuck, right? Because you're absolutely right. Our goal here 
is to raise, you know, self-actualized, self-aware adults. Yes. Yes. We're raising adults and, and we can get so zoomed in on, you know, what's happening right now in this one class where a child is failing or isn't, you know, managing to, to have their homework, make it from their bedroom to the, to the classroom or, or whatever. And, and those are real challenges. I recognize that. And like, it doesn't necessarily serve our kids to, to continually kind of work on those smaller issues if it's going to be at the expense of them feeling good about who they are, you know, keeping their self-esteem intact and really being able to develop their gifts. Yeah. Yeah. And you're reminding me, and I'm sure you've, um, have some background in just the whole strengths movement, right? Mm -hmm. Where the reality is that we grow exponentially Mm -hmm. within our strengths and Mm -hmm. very little, you know, in, in our weaknesses, we'll call them, right? And the things yeah. that are hard for us. So it's not that we don't spend time on what's hard for us, but really more time on what lights us up and, and what comes, you know, with ease. And we can develop that in just exponential ways. And that really feels like it's connected to that where you talk about parenting from a place of possibility instead of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of research now and more and more on the benefits of of use, you know, looking at things through a strengths-based lens. And I think it was Seth Perler who, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he's an executive functioning coach who is brilliant mm. and I wish would move into my house for a month and help <laughs> everything kind of get uh, get in line, but um but he talks about this idea of, you know, five you want to spend like five times as much time in an area of strength for, mm-hmm. for, you know, what you're working on in, in an area of a lagging skill or, uh, or a weakness. And I think that's the complete opposite of what we usually do, right? It's that mindset of like, Oh, you're not really good at this, this, and this. So we're going to put all of our energy into helping you in those areas. It's like, you're, and then you completely ignore these incredible strengths. And yes, when, if you can focus on the strengths, the other things come along, you know, they get yes. kind of swept up with the momentum. Yes, absolutely. And you also get to see that sparkle in their eye, Yeah, <laughs> you know, instead yes. of that, like, uh, the, the drudgery yes. of, of what's so difficult. Um, exactly. Tell us a little bit about um, just how the book is outlined so people get an idea. Um, you know, I know you you write a lot about your own story, you know, mm-hmm. as much as you, you know, can share that right now. I'd love to let people hear a little bit of your story and then also kind of how these tilts emerged. Sure. So, yeah, so I'm the mother of a almost 14-year-old differently wired son and he's the inspiration for for the work I do in the world now. Mm -hmm. Um, He had plans for my, not only my parenting life, but for my career apparently. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is differently wired in that he is gifted and um, has diagnoses of ADHD and Asperger's. And um, so twice exceptional is is what we would call him. And he, um, you know, we just really struggled uh, to figure out how to support him and it was one of those things that I write about this in the book that, and I'm sure many listeners, if, you know, who are raising atypical kiddos, it's like a discovery we make over time that, you know, we keep getting information from the universe or from teachers or, uh, you know, family members that 
you know, your kid is not sticking with the program. Like this is not mm-hmm. necessarily um, a typical experience. And we went through a number of schools in a short period of time until we ultimately decided to homeschool, which I've done now for five years. And um, it was in making that decision, which I, by the way, was a super, super reluctant homeschooler. I, I didn't think it was going to be survivably, honestly, because he was so intense at the time, at the age yeah. when we started that, that little collaboration. And, um, but ultimately it is, become such a great thing for the both of us and watching how he has changed and been able to grow now that he's not in uh, fight or flight mode constantly has been incredible. Mm. And so, so what I do in the book is, you know, I do share some of my story because I, I want, wanted readers to understand my perspective and also wanted readers to really feel it and know that, you know, I've been there. Like I know what, how dark this can be and how painful it can be when you feel like nobody else understands, um, what's going on. And, and I also interviewed more than a hundred parents, um, and included some of their stories in the book as well, because what I really liked about looking at differently wiredness as a whole, as opposed to, you know, just one specific neuro difference, like not just ADHD or not just, um, dyslexia or something, but rather if we look at all of the different ways of being neurodiverse, we realize that there are a lot of commonalities like, and, and so many parents are suffering really in secrecy or shame or guilt or fear. And so I wrote the book, the first chunk of the book is kind of a manifesto. It's like a rally cry actually, and trying to inspire parents to realize, you know what, this isn't okay. Like this system mm-hmm. is broken and our kids deserve better. And this is how it's hurting not only our kids, but society. And here's what we need to do to change it. So I kind of wanted to really um, motivate people to realize it doesn't have to feel this way. Yeah. And then the second chunk of the book is more practical. So I call them tilts. I present these 18 different ideas, which are really shifts in your thinking or beliefs or your actions that you can make that can actually have a profound impact in how your child, your family, and you as a parent experience the world. Mm, Yeah. And that's where it feels like your work and my work, we were talking about this earlier, come together so beautifully um, because all, all of, and you, you weave in awareness, um, practices to me. That's what I was reading Mm -hmm. throughout the book. Um, you know, that how we have to know ourselves, right. To be able Mm -hmm. to, to be with these children in remarkable ways and, um, and, and practicing mindfulness and practicing awareness and and doing inquiry. I know we both share a love of Byron Katie's work Mm -hmm. um, and really inquiring within ourselves is such an important piece of this. And, and that first tilt that you talked about is to question everything you know about parenting. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I love that tilt because I think that's where we really do have to start because so much of the pain that we experience is because of that disconnect from our expectations, not meshing with reality. And we can stay there, right? We could just spend the rest of our living days, like arguing with reality in that way and feeling disappointed 
um, and continuing to hold up these expectations, which are never going to be met. So it's really important to, in my opinion, to just take a big step back and evaluate everything, you know, um, from, you know, what, what does a education have to look like, or what is my child's social life need to look like really, um, to, you know, to nutrition, um, to parenting philosophies, you know, some of us just decide I'm going to be this kind of parent. I've read these books and this is the approach I'm using. And then we have a child and that completely doesn't work. So if we don't question, well, maybe there's another way that could be better for this child, we're going to stay stuck. So we have to really, everything's up for, for, for question, in my opinion, when we're dealing with a child who's moving through the world differently. Mm. Yeah. You know, my husband and I recently, I told you we were doing a pretty intense therapy with both, both of our boy, boys, this neuro movement therapy, it's called the Anat Binyal method. And um, she insisted that we work with a coach and, um, and, and we hadn't worked with a parenting coach before, and we were very interested and open. Um, but the reasoning behind it, um, really connects to, to a lot of what you share in this book is that we have to also be willing to change our assumptions and to be able to parent the child that's actually in front of us mm-hmm. instead of the story that we have, because, you know, when, when kids are going through this therapy that my kids are going through, they can change quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. And, and then the parents are still in the old paradigm. Yeah. Right. And it ends up holding the kids back. And I'm finding that, I mean, we're just in the midst of that right now. And, and it's so poignant and it's so true. And as we go through this coaching and we're really being stretched and pushed, pushed to expand you know, how we, the stories we tell ourselves about our children, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful work. And I would even say that, it, that it's ongoing work, right? Yes. Because our kids are always changing and developing and, and growing. And yeah. so we can't get too comfortable. We need to, it's a continual practice of inquiry and questioning and noticing and reflecting and setting new intentions and repeat, 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 because um, our children are you know, I always say that our children are creative, autonomous, resourceful, and whole, and we need to um, meet them where they're at. And, and that means as they grow, we need to continue to, to figure out where they are so we can see them for who they are. Yeah. Yeah. See them for who they are. (sighs) It's a lot of work. (laughs) It's a lot of work and so worth it and so worthy. Um, you know, you spoke early about twice exceptional, and I don't know that everybody knows what that means. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I think I'm so immersed in this world that I assume everyone knows what it is, yet it was new to me, you know, not that many years ago. So twice exceptional is um, the term for someone who is gifted, usually, you know, meaning their IQ is in the gifted range, mm-hmm. but they also have a secondary or, or more than one other um, learning difference. So, you know, gifted with ADHD, gifted with dyslexia, gifted with autism, um, some, or gifted with many things, thrice mm-hmm. exceptional, you know, there's, um, so it presents, it presents a lot of challenges because there's, there's so much asynchronicity between 
intellect and possibly social skills or then actually sometimes, especially with kids, for example, with uh, something like a learning difference, their intellect can sometimes mask the learning difference because they're so smart, they can um, make up for it. Meanwhile, they're really struggling, you know, internally and they're wondering why is this so much harder for me? And then on the flip side, there are kids who are never identified as gifted because their learning difference results in them not scoring high in in certain evaluations or or just in school not doing well. And so they've got all this incredible um, gifts and creativity that are never seen. Mm. And is the exceptional piece always connected to IQ or can it be in other, or can it be in like music or something else just out of curiosity? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it can be in anything. I mean, I think when we look at giftedness, there is kind of that and it's, uh, I was just reading Scott Barry Kaufman's book, who wrote a book called Ungifted, and who's really trying to f- flip on its head the way we um, even discuss and explore giftedness. But yeah, so I think um, there is the IQ piece, but I think more and more people are recognizing that you can also be profoundly gifted in music. And that's, that is also just really tricky because a lot of assessments don't recognize that and don't... Um, place a value on it. Um, but yes, I would say that still fits into the twice exceptional because it's a different way of processing and, and experiencing the world. Yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. It's helpful to me because I understood it, but not completely. Um, Mm. that's, that's really helpful. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who, who are kind of scratching their heads, wanting to understand more. (laughs) Um, you speak in the book about, becoming fluent in your child's language. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. Yeah. And that's kind of connected to what we were talking about in terms of, you know, us having maybe this approach that we are committed to using with our child, whether it's a discipline strategy or a parenting philosophy. Mm. And then our child, that's not the way they learn or receive information. And so that's part of it. Um, is just like realizing that unless we really learn and immerse ourselves in our, in the, uh, the foreign language that is our child, you know, we're going to continue to miscommunicate with them. They're not going to be able to, to feel the things that we're trying to share with them and, and vice versa. So if you think about, you know, the idea that all behavior is communication, and just start really getting curious and like almost being a detective, you know, what, what is my child telling me through this tantrum? What is my child telling me um, through this, what appears to be non-compliance or, um, or the, you know, whatever it is, their emotional outbursts or just the behavior, the things that they're saying um, and recognizing that that there's some need that they are trying to meet um, or there's a skill that they don't have. And our job is to, is to start to really get curious about all the nuances uh, for how they are communicating their needs and emotions to us so that we can have a true two-way communication. Mm, Beautiful. You've been out talking to parents. You've been all over the country, certainly the United States, and you live in Amsterdam. So my guess is you've, you're going to be spending some time speaking to parents there. But now I know normally you're kind of, you're online a lot, right? Your business is 
has been focused online with the mm-hmm. parenting community and the podcast. And, um, you know, now there you are like, with parents. <laughs> what, how has that been? And, and I'm really curious, like what surprised you, if anything? Hmm. Well, it's been amazing. It has been so fulfilling to me to be able to be in the same room with really what I would say are the bravest, most committed, incredible parents. And uh, so, yeah, it's been very humbling. I And to know that the work that I've been doing or my podcast um, has in some way impacted their family. Um, mm. It's really incredible to hear. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and, uh, I missed now I've got, I was totally thinking about all these incredible parents I met and I spaced on the second part of your question. What surprised you? Oh yeah. What surprised me? Hmm. Well, you know, what was really interesting. I, in every community, the parents were very different and, and it, there were some commonalities, but it was just fascinating to me to learn about the nuances of the education system mm. um, and how people get things done, um, what the concerns were, was very different, like geographically, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I think in terms of other surprises, I don't know if there are any big ones other than, again, that just on a personal level, um, people are in a lot of pain, you know, and I think I'm not in that space. And it was just a great reminder for me. I I was for many years. Yes. Um, And so it was very, as I said, humbling to, to receive that emotion from people. And, um, and I just wanted to just hug everyone Mm. (laughs) who was in that place and just say, it's not, always going to be this hard. I promise you, like it's not. Um, but it was just such a reminder of how when you're in that space, you really can't imagine a day where it's not going to be hard or you're not going to wake up worried or with the pit in your stomach because of some after school meeting or a decision you have to make about your child or their anxiety or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was, it was just wonderful to to be with, with these incredible parents who are so, so committed and love their children so much. Yeah. And really just kind of many of us working within a system, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's this huge difference also, if you have resources, like I shared with you, like my in-laws have always helped us, you know, with therapies mm-hmm. and with, you know, specialists and, um, you know, we've been able to kind of half homeschool and, and have a learning specialist. And that comes from privilege, you know, yeah. that comes from a privileged life and a, mm-hmm. and a privileged place. And that is not lost on me in any stretch yeah. of the imagination. And some parents have just have to work within the systems that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much work to be done. Like I was kind of vacillating constantly between the state of, um, inspiration and, and really, really strongly feeling the, the sea change and a, a growing awareness and, you know, things are changing and schools are getting better. There's just more understanding and feeling that sense of what do we do about, you know, kids who are slipping through the cracks? 
how do we support parents raising kids of color who are differently wired, who are treated differently and whose, you know, challenges might be um, treated more punitively? Mm. Um, How do we, you know, there's just so many um, equity issues here. And as you were talking about the resources, I know homeschooling is not an option for so many families. Um, So yeah, it can be overwhelming when you think about all the things that need to change. And I, you know, I think i I think I, I have to believe that A, it is changing and that B, the one person can have a big impact. Mm. Um, so every person who is choosing to make a ruckus, every person who's choosing to advocate for their child in a compassionate way and, and do that education is, is you know, helping so many kids who are going to follow their child. So yeah, so it's, it's, um, it can be overwhelming, but I, I do feel really heartened by the momentum that I see. Yeah. What, what are some of the changes that you imagine, either that you see coming or that you imagine would make the most impact? You know, what can we be looking out for and be supporting and be advocating for in our, you know, society, educational systems, you know, that you think would be really helpful or that you're seeing being really helpful? Well, I mean, one thing that I'm seeing more of is just the popping up of schools that are serving differently wired kids. I feel like even, you know, I started writing this book two years ago and there are so many more schools. Mm. Um, micro schools are popping up. I, I got two emails in the past three weeks that were specifically from parents saying, hey, we're going to start a school. Do you have any suggestions with resources? So so that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. This micro school model could be really interesting, I think. And just knowing that there's a growing awareness. You know, I think what I'd love to see in schools, and I don't pretend that this is an easy... <laughs> I mean, that's why I said our conversations in the book uh, tour stops always turn to education and people wanted to, me to tell them, what are we going to do? And I was like, if I can answer that question... I know. Um, it's a million dollar question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's... I think we need to start with... Um, supporting teachers better. I think teachers are so, you know, we know, we already know that they're way under-resourced, especially in the public school system. And they're, they're not well respected or as respected as they should be in comparison. You know, there's so many problems with that. Um, and then I, I think we need to give them more tools so they can I, identify and understand more of who differently wired kids in their class are and give them more wiggle room to be creative um, in terms of what they do in their classroom, you know, and how they can can accommodate and meet these kids' needs. I think, of course, we need to revisit the whole uh, no child left behind and, oh, and the testing and all of the things that are happening that are keeping teachers really stuck. Because yeah. um, I do believe teachers... They really, you know, of course, there's always a few bad seeds, and, you know, and that's just life. Mm-hmm. Um, but most teachers, they're in the job because they love kids and they want to, you know, they want to help kids learn. Um, so I think that's, that's something I personally want to put attention into in my, my work. And as Tilt evolves is I'm figuring out ways to, to better support teachers to not only understand the kids in their classroom, but feel like they have the resources they need to 
to deal with them both, you know, on a practical level and on an emotional level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm also just as an overall appreciation of the work that you're doing, appreciating this new language, you know, Mm -hmm. that has been evolving and emerging and that you're, you're evolving even more and highlighting and, you know, even just saying differently wired, because I'll often say learning differences, you know, Mm -hmm. that has a learning difference. And that's better than a learning disability, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, which is what we used to say. (laughs) Um, But there's something, you know, this differently wired and just this idea of raising an exceptional child in conventional world. Um, You know, I feel like both of my boys are exceptional in their Mm -hmm. own ways, like the way, you know, in their own, in their very magical ways that they are exceptional. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it can be hard raising them in this conventional world. And it is that they're just, they're differently wired. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I will just say that I, I don't believe the conventional world or conventional thinking serves any child. So, Mm. um, it's not just that kids who are differently wired deserve and need, you know, maybe more individualized or tailored approaches so that their gifts can, can come through. Every child deserves that. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Language is really important to me. I think, you know, it's so powerful in how we think and feel, you know, the words that we use. So, um, and I'm still learning, you know, I interviewed Marcus Sutra, who's the president of Eye to Eye, which is a national mentoring organization for kids with learning and attention issues. And he was telling me his personal story and he doesn't use the word diagnosed. He uses the word identified. He's like, when my learning differences were identified because mm-hmm. diagnose even that's a medicalized term, you know? Yes. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's a good one. So I've made that shift yeah. uh, in my, in my own mind. But um, I think we, that's part of the questioning everything too. We need to like, we need to look at everything and the words we use um, impact how society uh views these things and how our kids feel about themselves. And I, you know, my kid will call me on anything I'd say that is, has any sort of negative connotation. He'll bring into my intention. I'll be like, oh my gosh, you're so right. I didn't think of that that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're really helping, you know, all of us just live in possibility and mm-hmm. I'm just feeling really grateful for your work and this book. And, um, and I really encourage everyone to, to read it, to buy it, to read it, and to join um, Debbie's community online. It's Tilt Parenting Online. She's a, how, how large is your community now? Um, well, on Facebook, I'm, I don't know. I think I'm 16 or 17,000. Um, wow. A lot of podcast listeners and, uh, and really, like I said, awesome, brave parents. The coolest yeah. parents you'll ever meet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the warriors, right? Yes, exactly. The the heartfelt warriors. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for speaking to us and um, for, for everything that you're offering in this oh, space. Thank you so much for, for the conversation and for helping me amplify this message. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So we'll say goodbye to Debbie. We'll say goodbye to our listeners. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.